Hey, what's up, everybody? It's your favorite quarterback hater, Robert Mathis, and you're listening to the For the Culture Podcast. This is the For the Culture Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Diamond, with my man, Jason Spears. Time for another For the Culture Q&A. But before we get into question number one, if you haven't already done so, please subscribe to us on YouTube, where we're only 300 subscribers away from 5,000. So that would be an awesome number to hit during the season. Road to 5K on YouTube. Please subscribe to us on YouTube and Spotify, Apple, Radio.com, iHeartRadio, Google Play, all your favorite podcasting platforms. Hit the like button, leave a comment, and turn on the notification bell so you get a notification every time we drop a podcast. And Jason, question number one, do you think Matt Eberflus will still be the Colts defensive coordinator in 2021? So next season, will Flus leave for a head coaching job or will he be back as the Colts DC? I kind of hate this question, Luke, because I love flu. Everybody knows I'm, I'm a huge flu guy. I love him. I think he's going to be a hell of a head coach. And I have a really bad feeling he's going to end up being a coach in Houston next year. I would say it's probably 75-25 that we have a new D.C. next year. If you just look at his body of work, right, he comes here in 2018. We have basically 3-4 personnel. Because remember, we ran a 3-4 with, with Chuck for six years. It was terrible, but six we tried years. to run. Oh, dear God. Yeah, we, tr- we it was a terrible 3-4, but we did attempt to run it. So when he gets here in 2018, he flips to a 4-3. We clearly don't have the best personnel, but somehow we have, you know, sh- a shutout against a playoff-bound Dallas team, and we shut down the the, the Texans twice. I mean, our defense was was really, really – it was a, it was legitimately close to a top-10 defense in 2018. Now, last year with the situation we were in, a, a lot of blame gets put on him for the end of the year. But my argument to those people was the defense was on the field the whole frigging game because at the end of the year, Jacoby was just three and out, three and out, three and out, three and out. So, and then now this year he's got, I mean, literally the weak link was one of the best players on the 2018 team, Anthony Walker Jr. So there's talent now and what he's done with this team and what he's done with this defense and the way that he gets the most out of players and the way the players react to him and react to his coaching. He will absolutely be a head coach. If not this year, after this year, it's 100% after next year. Because I think the Colts' defense next year, if he's here, will absolutely be better than it is this year, which is insane to say. But I think, you you know, you're going to get a new linebacker in there. I think – and you get Grover and you, and, and you get Teray back and, and probably another great draft. So – and what he's doing with this year's team, I mean, holding two teams under 30 yards rushing in seven games, I mean – To me, including the head coach, I think he's the best coach we have. I really believe that. I think he gets the most out of players. They love the guy. I think wherever he ends up, and God, let it be somewhere else besides this division, I think he's going to win. What matchup are you looking forward to the most versus the Ravens, the Colts linebackers containing Lamar, the Colts linebackers and safeties covering Mark Andrews, Big Q, versus Campbell, which we've seen multiple times the last couple of years when he was in Jacksonville, Kenny versus Hollywood, Xavier versus Dez. Is Dez, we haven't even done our prep yet for that game. Is Dez even playing, Jason? He's on their practice squad. He hasn't been activated, so I'm not sure. I don't think we see Dez in this game. And if we did see Dez in this game, I think it'd be an advantage for the Colts because if Dez is on the field for them for the first time in, what, three years, he lost a step before tearing his Achilles. So if he's on the field, I think that would be – a great sign for the Colts and a not so good sign for the Ravens out of all the ones Lucas listed. My favorite matchup or the one I'm most excited about would have to be the Colt linebackers containing Lamar Jackson. And also the push up the middle on Lamar. Cause Lamar is so good at running between the tackles. If you go back to college, and I know a lot of people got mad when people said, Oh, he's a running back. He's a receiver. He's not a quarterback. Well, one of the reasons they said that I always viewed as a compliment If quarterback doesn't work out, this guy is so talented at running between the tackles and he's so good out in space. Even if quarterback doesn't work out, there's other spots for him because he's that good of an athlete. So I always viewed that as a compliment. So I'm excited to see the push from Grover Stewart and DeForest Buckner up the middle to not allow Lamar to wiggle his way through and break out into the middle of the field. And then also that linebacker containment with Leonard and Okariki spying on him and basically shadowing him the entire game. So that would have to be my favorite matchup to watch this Sunday. And we haven't seen a player like him. 
a lot of other guys, oh, we've seen this caliber player against this team. We saw this guy against this team. There's only one Lamar Jackson. So when you play the Ravens, that is the special matchup that you're not going to see against any other opponent. What are your thoughts on why the run game hasn't been like last year's? Simplest answer for you guys, Marlon Mack is the most underrated player on this team, one of the most underrated running backs in the NFL, and his value was not taken seriously. I think that we looked at, oh, this rookie coming in, who was so great at Wisconsin, and Jonathan Taylor, and we have Jordan Wilkins, who was averaging 5.8 yards per carry before this, and we had a guy coming off the street in Jonathan Williams and run for a couple hundred yards in a couple weeks for the Colts and then Naheem Hines. And I think people kind of just took it for granted where it's not Marlon Mack. It's the offensive line. It's the system. It's Frank Reich. But Marlon Mack was a big reason why this running game was so dominant for the Colts last year. And we might not have missed him when we lost him for a week on Thursday night football. But now when you see week after week without Marlon Mack, and I think eventually because this offensive line's so good, I think eventually we're going to get back on track and eventually we're going to become a top rushing attack again. But I just think in the short term up until this point, it is the loss of Marlon Mack. And that's just the easiest answer. There are other factors, but I think the easiest one, when you just look at it, what's the difference from last year to this year? No more than Mac. I agree with that, Luke, 100%. And, and I'll add a couple other thoughts on this. I think it's really three things. I think, first of all, Marlon Mack is better than anybody thinks. I think he's especially important to our offense. You've seen how we've had to kind of struggle running the ball, being dead last in yards for carry. So, number one, Marlon Mack, the best running back, in my opinion, the Colts have had since Edger and James, and we don't have him. So that's the first thing. And the second thing is the offensive line. I think the push hasn't been as good. I think that's a combination of – Teams bringing that extra guy up to stop the run, knowing that we want to run the ball. That's our that's our mentality. That's our identity. So teams are bringing extra guys up. They're run blitzing. They're coming off the corners. They're doing a lot of different things to stop our run. So the offensive lines had to block extra guys. It's been difficult, and they haven't gotten the push that they need to get for us to be as successful as we want to be. Now, that said, the offensive line's been great against with the pass. Their pass pro's been, been wonderful. So that, that part of it's been good, but the, the, the run blocking needs to get better. And then the last thing is some of the run plays are just horrible. They don't have a chance of working. So I blame. So the third thing would be Frank Reich's play calling. The run plays that he has with, with Hines, they just need to throw those out. If you take those out, I would love to see what our yards per carry would be. It certainly wouldn't be dead last in the league. But those plays uh, that drive me and Luke nuts, the, the A-gap dive, it's just on second and long. It just needs to be thrown out of the playbook. It's not a good play. It gets you no yardage. It really sets you up to fail because then you're in second 11 or third and 12 or whatever it is. So just throw that play out. So I think it's three things. I do think it's going to get better, though, because I think the offensive line is going to be able to pass block, which is going to allow Phillip to, to have big games, and they're going to back that extra guy out. There's not going to be as many run blitzes, and I think Wilkins – Taylor, those guys will be able to pick up more yardage. They were they were starting to really get it going. Taylor had an off week. Wilkins came in and ran for, what, 4.5 last game. So I, I think they're getting it together. But, damn it, throw that Hines play out. I'm so sick of seeing it. Yeah. I would counter the offensive line with in the past with Marlon Mack because I think Mack and the offensive line go hand in hand. Because there are so many holes that have been opened this year that might not have been hit by Jonathan Taylor. And if you just hit one of those for 20 and you just have one of those 20-yard carries per game, it changes everything. And then you add that. I mean, you, if you add one of those per game over the course of eight games, you're talking about damn near 200 extra rushing yards for this attack. So I think that – and that's just one a game. That's just one a game over the course of seven, eight games. So I think that Marlon Mack made the, it's one hand washes the other. He makes you look good. You make him look good. I think he made this offensive line look better. And I think the offensive line made him look better. And I think it went hand in hand. And I think running backs are a dime a dozen. I think drafting a running back in the first round is a waste. I think drafting a running back in the top 50, top 60 is a waste, but I think the timing of Mac going down week one, when you had so much of this offense reliant on him has hurt us, but I definitely think it's multi-dimensional. I think there's layers to the issue why the Colts have struggled to run the ball. And I think over the coming weeks, we're going to get better. 
I think that they're going to probably have to drop a guy back in coverage to try to stop Rivers in the passing attack, which has clearly improved. And I think that's going to make it easier on the run game. And then I saw a lot, Jason, this week, people comparing Jonathan Taylor to Trent Richardson. I think it's a weak, lazy comparison. He's seven games and six starts into his NFL career. Relax, please relax. Trent Richardson was blind. Jonathan Taylor has vision issues. When you have trouble seeing, you can wear glasses. When you're blind, you really can't do much. And Trent Richardson was blind. We've already seen more, I think, in seven games from Taylor than we saw in two seasons and 30 starts out of Trent Richardson. I, I don't get, I just don't get our fan base. They love, they love to proclaim young players busts. They just, it's their favorite pastime. Um, <laughs> listen, everybody knows if you listen to the, to the, draft stuff that we did and everybody knows I hated the pick I didn't like it I wanted an offensive tackle and it had nothing to do with Jonathan Taylor it has to do with just I don't believe in drafting running backs that early now with that said Jonathan Taylor is on our team and he in my opinion catches the ball out of the backfield as good as any back we have he picks up yards once he catches it he takes care of the ball Trent did none of that Okay, so take away – I'll get into the running in a second, but all the other things that a running back has to do, blocking, catching passes, protecting the ball, Trent sucked at all that from day one. Jonathan Taylor's already better than, all, than Trent at all that stuff. Now, as far as the running goes, he had 100 yards rushing in his first game. I don't know if Trent ever had 100 yards rushing in one game for the Colts his entire career. So, listen, I, I didn't like the pick. Taylor has struggled off and on. I think he's the game and he's still learning the game, but in no way do I think this guy is going to be a super bust like Trent Richardson was. I think he's going to be a very good NFL running back, but you guys have to remember it takes time. Now I've had issue with his vision, but his vision in, in the, what was it? The Cincinnati game was a lot better. It, it had gotten better. And then he just had a bad game against Detroit. So they went with, they went with Jordan Wilkins, which is great. I love that. Reich was like, okay, it's not your day. I'm going to go with Wilkins. And and he was – and Wilkins, you know, wore them down. And, and I'm fine with that. But you're right, Luke. It's ridiculous. Our fan base loves to declare guys busts or compare them to other busts after like <laughs> seven games. It's, ridic yep. it's ridiculous. And Trent Richardson, we traded a first-round pick for Trent Richardson on a team that was not ready to go win a Super Bowl. This team is much further along – and this team used a second round pick, our second second round pick on the running back. So it's a big difference. Trent Richardson's best NFL football was already beyond him by the time he got to Indianapolis. It's an awful comparison, awful comparison. But yeah, I mean, if he's still, if he's still I think it's all fans because Jason, I saw Lion fans tearing Matt Stafford to shreds. Oh. After the game, he got hit seven times, sacked five times. That's 12 times he was hit by the Colts defense in the game on Sunday. He had three touchdowns. He had 360 passing yards. Yeah, he turned the ball over twice. But when you get sacked five times, you're bound to lose one. And then he threw a pick six. That was a terrible. You don't have to defend. You could defend him without defending every single throw. It was a terrible pass. Never should have thrown the pick six. But he also made a couple of beautiful throws. He had that beautiful throw to Jones on that. Second drive, that touchdown following the block punt. Matt Stafford was not the issue. There were a million issues. They had two plays defensively where they only had 10 guys on the field. Matt Patricia <laughs> is a disaster. The defense was a disaster. They missed that kick before the half. They could not run the ball. Matt Stafford had no protection, got sacked five times. He got hit an additional seven times. And he had 19 yards from his running backs on the ground and Galloway missed pretty much the entire game. So I don't know how in the world you could blame that on Matt Stafford. So it just goes to show every fan base has them. Our fan base sure as hell has our fair share. And that Taylor Trent Richardson comparison made me want to vomit. Give the guy <laughs> some time. I was going to say this earlier. Like if he's still playing like this in year three, okay, maybe then, I, I would never compare him to Trent, but maybe then you start talking about, okay, this guy's not living up to what, you know, what we thought he'd be, but it's seven, seven frigging games, man. Yeah. Come on. We're playing Detroit. They took Swift. What ahead of us, a couple of picks ahead of us. I think they took him in the first round. I think they took him early second round in between our Pittman pick, because I think 
wasn't Edward Tiller the first running back off the board and the Chiefs oh, obviously yeah, had yeah. the last pick? Yeah. So he was yeah. picked somewhere between Pittman and Taylor. He was drafted ahead of Taylor. What did he do on Sunday? You think they're ready to give up on him? I mean, Cole fans, please, please have a reality check. Should the Colts consider starting Marcus Johnson as the number one or number two wide receiver? I mean, you already know my answer. <laughs> I love the kid. I, I begged him to, to play him more. I think he should get as many snaps at wide receiver as anybody else does. Mm-hmm. So, yes, I absolutely think he should start on the outside. He doesn't dr- – I mean, Luke, he doesn't drop passes, dude. No. He catches he everything. He knows how to sit down in, in zones. He knows where to be. He's a very smart player. I absolutely start him. I think you, you get that speed on the field. You get those hands on the field. He's, he's, he, I mean, he seems to be pretty durable minus the, fir- the, the kind of freak injury he had in New York a couple years ago. So, yeah, I, I mean, we all know I, I'm on the Marcus Johnson bandwagon, been on it yep. since we got him. So I absolutely start him 100% for the rest of the year. Yeah, and these questions, some of them came before the Lions game. Some of them came after the Lions game because we were supposed to record this over the bye. I got sick, wasn't able to record it. We're recording it now. So this was asked when T.Y. was healthy. Now T.Y. being out with that groin, I don't know how long he's going to be out. I don't know if he's going to miss the Ravens game. I don't know what the timetable is. But without T.Y., that just gives more of an opportunity for Marcus Johnson, who right now is playing with or without T.Y. as the best receiver on this roster. No disrespect to T.Y., Ring of Honor guy, one of the better Colts of the last definitely 10 years. You could go 20 years. You could go all of all time. I mean, T.Y. has been a great, great Indianapolis Colt. Marcus Johnson's the better receiver right now in 2020. T.Y. has been dropping passes. Marcus Johnson has not been dropping passes Johnson's been fantastic. I agree. I think he should be starting. I think he should be getting more targets, more snaps, more anything, and definitely not cut at any point. We played that game. It's a dangerous game. When you start to put good tape on display for teams around the league, he has great tape on display now when you go back a couple weeks to that Bengals game. So you can't play that game because that's a dangerous game when you have a guy who teams around the league are starting to look at like, hey, this guy could play. This dude could play. And that's what Marcus Johnson is turning into. I think he's making a name for himself around the NFL. And I definitely know some guys in Cincinnati know his name. Absolutely. And the last thing I'll say, I'm glad you pointed this out, that it was before T.Y.'s injury, because honestly, it doesn't change my answer. I think Marcus Johnson with T.Y. Hilton on the field is even more dangerous because then you've got two guys that can really stretch the field. Obviously, T.Y. having an offseason, you know, dropping passes. He's still getting open. That's the thing. People are saying T.Y.'s washed. I'm not ready to say that. He He's still getting open, but he's just not catching the ball. Now he can't stay healthy. Yeah, I, I think I don't it's th- more of a funk. I don't think yeah. it's washed. I think it's a funk. I think T.Y.'s in a funk. I don't know if it's because he was playing with Jacoby last year and it got him in the funk. I don't know if it's because he dropped a couple early passes this year. I don't know what led to this funk. I don't know. Maybe it was the injuries. He was inconsistent in terms of availability last year. Maybe that played into it. Maybe it's a little bit of all three combined. But, yeah, he's definitely, in my opinion, not washed, but definitely in some sort of funk. Yeah, he's on the backside now. He's on the backside Mm -hmm. of his career for sure. And little guy in his 30s. Yeah. Little guys don't last too long because they rely so much on that burst and so much on that quick speed. Yeah, and he's starting to get those tight those 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 injuries that little guys get, speed guys get late in their career because they're they, they're trying so hard to get that burst, and they're just they're pulling groins, they're pulling you know hamstrings, they're blowing out hamstrings. I mean, that's that's normal. That's what happens with 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 a lot. I mean, you look at Deshaun Jackson; he can't stay on the field. Yeah, so it's like a sports car too. When you have an older car and you step on the gas, you're probably going to burn out a lot quicker than you're going to burn out with a brand new sports car. Yeah. And that's the way these little guys are built. Big guys are different because you watch Larry Fitzgerald play. He doesn't need to hit that zero to 100 acceleration. He could play the game in a more methodical way and it's different. And it allows him to be more conservative with his speed and his body and his energy and the way he plays the game. T.Y. Yeah. doesn't have that luxury. Uh, that's a great point. And, uh, you know, just to wrap this question up, I guess either or, it doesn't matter, T.Y., no T.Y., I, I definitely think Marcus Johnson should start on the outside. There's no doubt in my mind that he's our best receiver right now, and the one I trust, it's, you're saying to me, who do you trust to catch every pass thrown to him right now? 83. 83 is yep. the guy. So I want him on the field for as many snaps as possible. 
The Colts could win the Super Bowl this season if they dot, 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 fill in the blank. Well, you could go in a couple different directions here. <laughs> obviously, if they stay healthy, obviously, if yeah. Philip Rivers holds on to the football, doesn't turn over the football, all just basic stuff, you know, getting off the field on third downs, moving the chains on third downs, Frank Reich coaching to the strengths of his players, like all that stuff. But I would just throw a wild card out there which goes against all the obvious stuff, like not turning over the football and being smart with the football, no penalties and blah, blah, blah. Avoiding the Steelers in the playoffs. And it's <laughs> not because the Steelers are 7-0. If the Steelers were 0-7, I would say avoid the Steelers in the playoffs. I think we match up good with the Ravens. We'll find out this weekend. I think we match up great with the Chiefs, as we saw last year. We have clearly gotten better since then. Leonard missed that game. So now you have Leonard back. You have... DeForest Buckner, you have an upgrade at the quarterback position with Phillip Rivers. So besides losing Marlon Mack, we're pretty much a better team in every way, shape, and form from last year's Chiefs game to a potential game against the Chiefs in January this year in the playoffs. So I think that – because right now, let's face it, even if the Colts win the division, all roads go through Pittsburgh. The Steelers are 7-0 and or 8-0 and now. They're undefeated, so they are going to – most likely, unless the Ravens win that division, they are most likely going to win their division and have home field throughout. If they have home field throughout, I don't see the Colts going to Pittsburgh because we can't do it. We can never do it. We can't do it in the regular season. We can't do it when they're bad. I don't know how we're going to do it when they're good in the playoffs. Go to Pittsburgh and win. So I think that the out-of-the-box answer to this question, how do the Colts get to and win a Super Bowl? Avoid Pittsburgh. If it's Kansas City, if it's Baltimore, whoever it may be, somebody has to beat them, and then we could beat the team that beats them, so we could go to the Super Bowl. Yeah, I've got two. I've got two. Well, one obvious answer, and then one that's inside the box. Since you went outside of it, I'll stay inside of it. The obvious, you know, answer is stay healthy. But I mean, that's the cop out answer. the The answer I'm going to give for my inside the box answer is the Colts can win the Super Bowl if. They consistently get to the quarterback every week for the rest of the season. If they can consistently put pressure, and I don't care who it is, Aaron Rodgers, Lamar Jackson, Ryan Tannehill, Deshaun Watson, it doesn't matter. If they can consistently get to the quarterback and pressure the pocket, they will get turnovers. That will give the ball to the offense. That can flip fields. That, to me, is the key to the season. The strength of this team is the defense, and that's the one thing I love about you know, having a great defense is it travels. It doesn't matter if you play in snow. It doesn't matter if you play in heat. It doesn't, I mean, it just travels. And we have a great defense. The one issue that I worry about is that outside defensive end edge pressure. If we can get that, we can beat anybody. I have no, and we've been getting it. We've been getting pressure, pressure, pressure. And it's, it's definitely caused a ton of turnovers and a ton of problems for the teams we played, but it's gotta be consistent. The consistency hasn't been there as much as we've needed it to be. Now, if we can get that going in the second half and knock on wood, stay healthy, there's not a team in this league I don't think we can beat because our defense, to me, is that good. So the consistency of the pass rush, for me, is the key to this Colts team making a run to the Super Bowl. I don't think it's out of the question at all the more I watch them play. Name three realistic quarterback options for the Colts during this offseason. Also, how could the Colts acquire these players? Well, I'll give you more than three. The two obvious ones are in-house right now. Eason's development is way further ahead than we believe as fans who haven't seen him play because we really don't know where Eason is. So that'll be the first throwaway. The second throwaway, obviously, Phillip Rivers. He's your starting quarterback right now. He's up after this year. A second one-year deal. Bring him back. Have him mentor Eason once again next year. Quarterback room basically stays the same. And you say farewell to Jacoby Brissett. So I think that those two guys coming back is very likely at this point. Philip Rivers as your starter, Eason as your backup, most likely. Rivers leaving Eason coming back as the starter, I think less likely, but I guess a realistic possibility. So I wouldn't even count those two as three possibilities to answer this question because those guys are already in house. I'll go Sam Darnold. How do you get him? You trade for him. They're going to have the number one pick. The Jets are awful. I assume they go 0-16 this year. I really don't see them beating anybody. Maybe the Patriots 
once, but I don't think Belichick wants to lose to the Jets and be the one team that lost to the worst team in football. So unless that's his way of getting Trevor Lawrence out of his division, I don't know. But right now, I think the Jets go 0-16. I think they get the number one pick. I think they draft Trevor Lawrence. I think they look to trade Sam Darnold. I think Sam Darnold could very realistically end up in Indianapolis. I think Carson Wentz could potentially be on the trade block. I don't think he will. I think the Eagles will end up holding on to him, but they did draft Jalen Hurts last year. So I think that's a possibility, but I don't think it's as strong of a possibility as the Jets, where I don't see any way Sam Darnold is back on that roster. Because even if Lawrence were to say, okay, I'm going back to Clemson, they'll probably take Justin Fields over Sam Darnold at this point. Cause I think Sam Darnold's just done in New York. I think he's very talented. I think we've seen it in flashes. If you watch the end of the Niners game, if you watch parts of our game, I think that he clearly has something that it's never going to come out fully in New York because of Adam Gaze, because of Todd Bowles and the way he's been treated there. So I think Darnold is the most likely, I think Wentz is a possibility. If Wentz becomes available, I think it's a very likely possibility because of the Philadelphia connection between Frank Reich and Carson Wentz. And then that last spot is going to be more of a wild card. Could Matt Ryan be on his way out of Atlanta? And if you're the Colts, you have a 38-year-old quarterback. Do you want to go back to another rental mid-30s quarterback? I think Matt Ryan has a lot of juice left in the tank. I think he's playing way better than Atlanta's record. I think that he is the least of their worries right now, but I think he'll be 36 this offseason. So could he potentially be on the move? Yeah, I think there's a great possibility of that. Could a guy like Matt Stafford be on the move? There might be a possibility there. If Stafford was available, I would love to take a shot with a guy like Matt Stafford. But where are the Lions going to be drafting? They already have three wins. If they're a 500 team, there might not be a quarterback there. And then you're going to stick with Matt Stafford. Atlanta right now looks like they're going to be drafting high up in the draft. They might have a chance at a player like Justin Fields. So I think that there's a lot of opportunity. I think there's a lot of possibilities for the Colts. Definitely a couple guys in house that we also have to take a look at another year of Phillip rivers and the future of Jacob Eason. But you bring in a guy like Matt Ryan, which is a more of a hypothetical guy. Cause I don't even know if he'll be available. And I don't know if you want to go that route, but you go that route with a 36 year old Matt Ryan, you get a little bit younger and a little bit more productive than we have right now in Phillip Rivers. And then you give a little bit more time to Eason to be able to develop. And then you could have him develop under a player like Matt Ryan, opposed to bringing in a guy like Sam Darnold, where you're bringing in a player who's close in age to Jacob Eason. And if Darnold's your franchise quarterback, then Eason might never get to be that guy. He might be a career backup in Indianapolis or might go elsewhere and become a starter. So there's going to be a lot of opportunities, a lot of options for the Colts at quarterback. It's a weird time in the NFL right now with quarterbacks. We saw a lot of quarterback movement this past offseason. You see a lot of young quarterbacks, a lot of rising stars that are under the age of 25 in the National Football League. And then you have a lot of old guards that are still pretty good. Some older quarterbacks that are floating around the league. We have one right now in Phillip Rivers who's clearly capable of still playing on this level, you look at Brady, he's what, 43 years old, still playing at a high level. So it's a very interesting time right now for quarterbacks in the NFL. And I could see a bunch of guys starting for the Colts week one in 2021. Who do you think has been the biggest surprise so far this season and the biggest disappointment? Oh, that's easy for me. The biggest surprise has been Grover Stewart. He's been unbelievable this year, playing at a Pro Bowl level. People talk about Buckner, but Grover's been outstanding, done everything that's been asked of him. Just an incredible, incredible performance uh, against Detroit. He's been good every week this year. Uh, I love Grover. We've got to re-sign him. No question he's my biggest surprise. My biggest disappointment, honestly, has been T.Y., man. The drops, all, all the things that have kind of gone on, and now the injury. It's very disappointing. Thought he would be a lot more productive, and it just hasn't happened, whether that's because – they have, you know, they haven't thrown him the ball enough, or he when they have, he's dropped the ball. Been a big time disappointment for me because I thought he was really going to have a breakout year with with Philip Rivers, and it just hasn't happened. I'm going to disagree with biggest surprise. Obviously, this is a subjective question, subjective answer. 
I think that we knew Grover Stewart had this in him because you go back to the offseason, we were talking about how he's one of the most underrated players on this roster. Now you put him next to an elite all-pro three-tech, you have to expect him to play at a Pro Bowl level when he's playing next to a player as great as DeForest Buckner. So I'm going to go with a player who we call this year's version of Quincy Wilson over the summer, and that is Tyquan Lewis. We were ready to give up on Tyquan Lewis, a player you love coming out of Ohio State. We were ready to give up on him. We said he's this year's version of Quincy Wilson. That didn't mean that we were ready to cut him and trade him. That means it's now or never. It was now or never this time last year for Quincy Wilson. And besides the one game against the Chiefs, it was never. And we trade him to New York. It was now or never this year for Tyquan Lewis. And he stepped up. He has the tie for the team lead in sacks with 3.5. Had two this week in only 25 snaps against the Detroit Lions. So that's been a wonderful surprise. That's, this is the player we expected a couple of years ago out of Ohio state. We didn't get him, And here we are a couple of years later, staying healthy, staying on the field, productive, both getting after the quarterback and in the run game. So I am really pleasantly surprised with what we've seen out of Tyquan Lewis, as great as Grover is part of me expected it because we've seen Grover play productive football before. And we really hadn't seen it up until this year out of Taekwon Lewis. And then with the disappointment, I got to agree with you. I'm disappointed in Jonathan Taylor a little bit, but he's a rookie. So you have to expect it out of a rookie. I'm disappointed in Ben Banigou, but it's a sophomore slump and he hasn't really had the opportunity. And there's a lot of competition. We don't have great defensive ends, but we have a lot of guys who are capable at those spots, taking snaps away from him. And then TY, you have a veteran, a perennial pro bowler, who is a captain of this team, I expect more out of T.Y. Hilton. So I'll give a slap on the wrist to a rookie, to a second-year guy. But when you're in year eight, year nine, you're a captain of this team, I expect more from you. The drops are inexcusable. One or two here or there is one thing, but to drop passes week in and week out consistently, I hate to say it, but T.Y. has been my biggest disappointment this season. I got to agree with you on that one. Remember, guys, these questions are from before the Lions game. So who's cut when Teray and Pittman come off the IR? Pittman already came off the IR. When Teray comes off the IR, I think we could go with a player like Noah Tungai, who's one of our tight ends right now. He's our fourth tight end. He's not dressing, so I think that's a possibility. It's going to be one of those depth pieces at a position that made the roster once upon a time because we were decimated with injuries there. And now you have flexibility because I don't see any of the defensive ends or D linemen getting cut when Teray comes off. Yeah. Tom guy's a great answer. I don't see anybody else that I would cut over, over tongue guy. So I think that's probably where you go and I uh, hope you can get him back on the practice squad. Yep. And sticking with Teray, how much of an impact will Teray have when he comes back in a week or two tough, Tough question to answer because we don't really know where he is physically and conditioning wise. So when he comes back, how many snaps is he going to have? What's his role going to be? I assume limited snaps on third and long situations where you just let him pin his ears back and get after the quarterback. But I can't see Teray having much of a role in the early weeks. Down the road is a different question, but it's tough to evaluate a guy who we just haven't seen in how long, Jason? 56, oh. 57 weeks, 58 weeks since the Chiefs. That was week four or five of last year. So it's been quite a while since we saw Kamoko Ture on the field. Yeah, I'll answer this with a with a with an asterisk. The asterisk is he's got to be healthy. So if he's healthy, I think you're gonna see, like Luke said, them slowly bring him along, get him into the flow, and by the end of the year, he's gonna be, you know, he's gonna be heavily in their rotation. But to start off, I think they're gonna be limiting him to probably pass rush situations. My, my biggest worry with him, honestly, is just health. Is he 100% healthy? Is he going to be the same player? Is he going to have the same bend? Um, that remains to be seen. Obviously, yep. they're not going to put him out there if he doesn't look good in practice. So we'll, we'll see what happens. If he's out there, then they obviously think he's, he's recovered enough to make a difference. So we'll see what happens. But I do think he can make a difference if he's 100% healthy because he was, he was getting to the quarterback last year. The stack numbers didn't show it, but he was definitely getting a lot of pressure on the quarterback. And he certainly will help our pressure, especially when you consider the guys that we have on our defensive line now playing so well in the middle. 
you get that edge pressure and also makes it easy for easier for Houston as well. When you've got another guy comes in, that's got that bend that could get to the quarterback. So that is honestly, I'm super hopeful that that guy can get back on the field and be healthy and, and be the player that he was pre injury, because that would be a huge, huge difference in our defense going forward. Yeah. Let me just say this. I love Komoko Ture and he's worked extremely hard to get back from this brutal injury. This is an injury that could be considered career ending. And it doesn't matter how old you are when your ankle snapped in half, like it was for Ture at the end of that chiefs game back in week five of last year. So he's worked so hard to get back. One of my favorite players on this team. And I don't know what his production will look like when he's back on the field on Sunday, but I just can't wait to see him back out there. He's worked so hard to get to this point. And he deserves it. He's earned it. He deserves it. I can't wait to see him get back out there and hopefully be able to produce immediately right out the gates, third down, whatever his role might be. He's able to get out there and hopefully make a big impact for the Colts. Even if it's just a handful of plays a game, it'd be a great addition to this team. And he's, again, he's earned it. He deserves it. And he's worked extremely hard over the last year plus. Out of the following players, which ones, if any, do you see returning next year? T.Y., Phil, Doyle, Houston, Mac, Hooker. T.Y., right now, I do not see him back next year. Rivers, right now, I do see him back next year. Definitely subject to change. Doyle, we re-signed last year, but with the emergence of Moali Cox, it seems like they like Burton more than Doyle, too. I could see Doyle being this year's version, maybe, of Pierre Desir, where... You say, we signed you last year. We like you. Thank you for your service, but you're not worth the remaining money on this contract. So I could see that happening with Doyle, who's been a good Colt. He went to a pair of Pro Bowls, but I could see the Colts moving on from Doyle. So I would say he is a question mark. He's up in the air. Houston, I think he's up in the air. He'll be up after this year. So he'll be a free agent. I could see him back. I could see him gone. Mac, I would love to see him back on a one-year deal. That Achilles injury is devastating. He'll be ready probably in the beginning as the season's starting. So his free agency timeline is going to be tough for him to get signed by somebody. So I would love to see him back in Indianapolis on a one-year deal, proving that he could still play at this level. He still has the burst and the acceleration and is able to cut coming off that torn Achilles. And then Malik Cooker, same thing, devastating injury. I would love to see him get back to NFL shape and be able to play again in this league. Will it be in Indianapolis? No, it will not. Mac might not be either, but I would like to see Mac back on a one-year deal. Hooker, we know he will not be back on a one-year deal. Yeah, I agree with pretty much everything you said. I think Hooker's 100% gone. I think Doyle, they'll probably try to rework that deal so it doesn't count so much against the cap. T.Y., I mean, I hate to say it, but I think his days in Indy are numbered. Who, are, who else did you name? Rivers, which you already talked about before yeah, in other questions, yeah. and then Houston, which I think is kind of yeah. up in the air. If you could get him I back think, cheap. Yeah, I, I think Houston's gone. I think he, he's I think he's fallen. I think this is his cliff right here. He's not – he's just not the same player. I think he'll probably – they'll probably let him walk. Uh, they'll have Lewis back. Hopefully Teray back, so I, I and they'll probably draft somebody. So I, I think they let him walk. That that's the one guy I think we probably disagree on. I think he probably they let him go because of his age, and he's just mm -hmm. he's not he doesn't look like the same player to me. But as far as the other guys, I mean, I think Phil's back. I think Mac, you give him that one year deal. Doyle, you try to rework that deal so it doesn't count so much. Uh, Hooker's a hundred percent gone. So yeah. What has been your favorite play of the season that nobody talks about? Great question. At first, it sounded like it was going to be pretty easy, even though I guess it still wouldn't have been too easy. Favorite play that nobody talks about. Huh. I thought I'm trying to think of a play that nobody's really talked about. I'll, I'll tell you one. You, you, you made we talked about I forget what game it was. I think it was Cincinnati oh, and it was a the Rivers, the Rivers yeah. one where he. Yeah, yeah, yeah. OK, nobody talked about that. You're right. The play where Rivers had who was a Dunlap or Law no it was Lawson. Yeah. Lawson was coming up from behind. Rivers had two hands on the ball. He squeezed it. 
Lawson tried to knock it out from behind. He beat Anthony Costanzo around the left side and then Rivers threw it away. So my favorite play that nobody's talking about is a play that didn't really happen. It was just a throwaway incompletion. Let's bring up second down or bring up third down. It was just an incomplete pass, but I loved it because it shows the whereabouts of Philip Rivers and the emphasis on ball security. We watched Jacoby Brissett. Everybody talks about the interceptions. Jacoby Brissett fumbled the football so much. The fumble, 18 fumbles in 30 games. That's worse than picks. A fumble, because a fumble is not going anywhere. At least a pick, you have a chance of a great play. With a fumble, it's pretty much just a bleh. Like, it's just a nothing. So, Philip, and that's also a great teaching point for Jacob Eason. You have Eason in the quarterback room. You say, watch what Rivers did here. He's been in the league for 57 years, and he learned how to do this. You're going to be a rookie in a year or two, and you can learn this before you even step on the field for the first time. So, thank you, Jason, for reminding me of the play nobody talks about. Yeah, my play is actually a play that we've run multiple times. So it's a play. It's not a specific one play that we've run. It's a play in a playbook that we've run. And that's the Trey Burton RPO play. And the reason why it's my favorite play is because I think that play is leading to something down the road where we throw the ball. We've run that RPO. He's kept it every time and run it in the end zone. He hasn't thrown it yet. I'm wait. I'm telling you right now, in a big moment in the future, in some game that we need to win when the game's on the line, He's going to keep that ball and throw a touchdown pass to help us win a game. So that play, I guess I'm kind of not answering the question because I think the play that I'm going to that I'm <laughs> going to talk happened yet. hasn't happened yet. But the <laughs> play that, but I like how we're setting it up. If you understand what yeah, I'm saying, yeah, yeah. no, I got you. I got you. I like the idea. I like the setup. I like the pack. I think you're talking about the package that direct right. snap inside the five yard line to Trey yeah. Burton, and Burton played quarterback in college. So he was right. a quarterback at Florida. So he could make that one yard throw. I'm not sure Absolutely. people can make that one yard throw if we're talking Florida <laughs> quarterbacks, but I think Trey Burton's going to be more than capable of making that one yard throw. So yeah, that's a good one, Jason. I like what they're doing with him down on the goal line as well. And nobody's talking about the option to throw, but that will eventually come up in a big game. And we have a couple big games coming up in the next couple of weeks including this game, which this person's asking us about. How do you think the Colts defense will do against the Tennessee Titans? I know this game isn't for a while. Well, there's a couple games. Obviously we have two games coming up, two games in three weeks against the Titans. The run game will be interesting seeing that we have some issues with our run defense. I disagree. I don't think we have too many issues with our run defense. I think when we buckle down, I think we have a great run defense. And I think that, in the past, we haven't been nearly as good against the run. And we've always done a pretty good job, you know, as good as you could do against Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry also struggles against bigger defenders. When guys are his size or bigger, he tends to struggle. We're big up front on that line with the addition of the Forrest Buckner. So I think that we're going to do a pretty solid job against the Titans and we've seen the Titans go up and down this year. They won a game by three points. They won a game by two points. They won a game by one point. They went to overtime with a bad Houston Texans team. And then they get beat convincingly by a Bengal team who's going to end the year four and 12. So it's not a great Titans team. I mean, they're not as good as everybody thinks they are. They're a good team. They're a playoff team, but I don't think they're this great team. I don't think they're going to win a Super Bowl. I think that they're a good team, an above average good team. They're a playoff team. They're a double digit 10 win team. I don't think they are the team they were at when they were five and oh, I thought it was a mirage. So I think that splitting with the Titans is worst case scenario. I expect at least one. And that first game is going to be tough because it's Thursday night on the road following the Ravens. But then when we play them at home, I definitely expect to win that game. So I think worst case scenario and most likely what's going to happen with the Titans will be a split. I think defensively, I think the bigger, the bigger problem defensively is going to be like, how do you stop a guy like AJ Brown? Cause he's just so big and so physical over the middle. But I think that our run defense has been good. So I would disagree with the part where they said that our run defense has been suspect or they don't trust our run defense. I would disagree with that. 
Yeah, I was that was gonna be the first thing I mentioned. The uh, the run defense has been great. I don't know what he, I don't know what he's been watching. And and honestly, our run defense against Derrick Henry's been solid. The one big game he had was only because our defense was straight up worn out from three and outs from our offense. So the key to that to, to me, the key to those games is keeping our defense fresh. And how do you do that? You get first downs on offense. We can't have a ton of three and outs. I really feel like if if we can and take advantage of their secondary, I think we can win both of those games. I really believe that. They're not good in the secondary. They don't get a lot of pressure on the quarterback. Clowney and Beasley have zero sacks. Luke and I have had as many sacks as those two guys have had. And so I, I think the Colts have the advantage in both of those games. The key, obviously, is, is slowing down Henry. And if our defense can stay fresh, I think they'll do that. And I think they have a very good chance to win both games. How soon should we expect a contract extension for Grover? getting more expensive with his stellar play. Well, it was during the year last year where we extended Jack Doyle. So Ballard has done it in the past. Will he do it with Grover? I think there's a great possibility. You have to bring him back. And like this person said, every week that goes by, his price seems to be rising and rising. So I think he could be paid any week. I don't know when that day will come, but I think that it's a possibility at any time. And then definitely at some point between now and the first week of March, he will be re-signed to a pretty nice contract, especially for a small school guy. Where'd he come out of Albany? Like he came out of a small school, like a really small school. So he will definitely be the highest paid NFL player. I would assume to ever come out of that program. Yeah. And here's what I would tell Colt fans, even if they don't get a deal done, before the end of the season, I, I think, and, and no one's really talked about this, but I think they'll franchise tag him and then and work on a deal until you know and, and get it done yeah. before. Has season. Ballard franchise tagged the player yet? I don't think he has. No, no but he's not going to let Grover walk. There's no, they just no, can't. No, Grover will be so, back. So don't worry, guys. He will be back. They'll get it done some way or the other, one way or the other. Obviously, with the cap being a little lower next year, it's going to take a little bit more doing. But if we don't get him signed by you know, the free agents, free agency time, I think we will franchise him, which will give you that window to sign him. And then I think that will get done. I think they will sign him to a, a long-term deal, a four-year deal or, or something like that, because he's such a big part of our defense. I mean, really the strength of our defense is in the middle. You've got Buckner, you've got Stewart. It all start. Everything starts with those two guys. So you've got to have Grover there. I, I know Ballard knows how important he is. So I have no doubt in my mind they'll get that done one way or the other, so I'm not too worried about it. But they're def he's definitely going to get paid, and he's earned it. He's earned oh, yeah. it. That guy's worked his ass off. So I love Grover, and I, I and he'll definitely be back for the Colts next year. I have no doubt in my mind. Yeah, it was Albany State, by the way, the school he came out of. These are the players drafted out of Albany State by round. Eighth round, and this one, we're going back to the 1960s. Eighth round, ninth round, tenth round, tenth round, eleventh round, sixteenth round, seventeenth round, fourteenth round. So we have yet to even see a round that exists today. Fourth round, Mike White in 1979. Seventh round, eleventh round, eleventh round, ninth round, sixth round, and then Grover Stewart in the fourth round. So a gem, a great, great draft pick by Chris Ballard out of Albany State in the fourth round of the 2017 draft don't know how he found him but glad he did and he will definitely be repaid if there's anybody back from this draft class it is grover stewart because anthony walker looks like he's on the way out marlon mack i would love to bring back on a one-year deal but he is coming off a torn achilles so there's a great chance that he's not back and then grover stewart i don't see any possibility he's not back so he's going to be back so you might have a situation where the only player returning on a second contract from the 2017 draft class is a guy out of Albany State. It's crazy. I saw more blitzes from our defense against the Bengals. Okay, so this is a Bengal question. This is a bye week question. We saw even more blitzes, the most blitzes we've seen all season against the Lions. And obviously, it paid off for the Colts. But we didn't seem to get there when sent. Well, we throw this question out because. The defense we just saw against the Lions was getting home all day. We did blitz more, but we were also getting home with four when we were in blitzing. We had seven quarterback hits plus the five sacks. So you could kind of throw that question out. The question was, if you want to hear it, what do you think of our blitz schemes, blitz overall packages to this point of the season? I think our answer probably would have been different before the Lions game. Yeah, I mean they they've done a, they've definitely done a lot more blitzing uh, as far as they later in the Cincinnati game, early in the Detroit game, 
I think some of that is to give teams something else to prepare for. The, the longer the season goes, obviously, and the be- with our schedule, the better the teams are going to be. So you want to add things in. You're trying to win the game, obviously, so it's all within the framework of the game. But you're giving these teams like Baltimore and, and Tennessee and all these teams, Green Bay, especially teams that haven't really seen you, other things to prepare for getting ready for you know the week we play them. So I think Flus is really smart about the way that he utilizes guys like Kenny Moore. Kari Willis blitzed a lot in the Detroit game. And I think he'll continue to blitz, but I think he does it in doses. He's never going to blitz a ton because that's not our defense. Our defense is front four, you know, getting there, stopping the run on the way to the quarterback. And, and he's not ever going to just turn into Dick LeBeau and start blitzing everybody. It's never going to happen. So he does it in the framework of, of, of the game, and he does it at strategic points of the game. I mean, we all think back to the – the Kenny Moore blitz in Kansas City where he sacked Mahomes. I mean, there's there's something to be said for not blitzing much, but when you blitz, it's always the right time. It's always, mm-hmm. you know, the time of the game where you need to play. And, and Flus is super good at that, man. He's really, really good at designing blitzes for specific type plays and specific points of games. So I don't think the blitz packages are going to be increased too much. But again, it all depends on the opponent. And it all depends on what we're doing as far as our front four. He will absolutely not hesitate to blitz if we're not getting there with our front four because you got to get, you got to get to the quarterback. So it all depends on the game, how it's going. A lot of different things go into it, but as a rule for this team, he's not, he's not a heavy blitz guy. Just never going to be that way. No, but he does have a great feel for it. When he dials it up, he dials it up at the right time. Like you said with the Kenny Moore blitz, and we've seen that multiple times against the Texans. There was a span where we put the Texans like five times. I think Kenny Moore had five sacks. I mean, it just seemed like every game he was pressing the right buttons with that slot corner blitz. And then this weekend against the Lions, we came out the gates with heavy heat. And then when we called off the dogs, we were still getting home just as effectively when we were rushing four. So it was a really good job. And our ability to stop the run on the way to the quarterback has been superb. That's something with as great as Dwight Freeney and Robert Mathis are, Freeney will be in the Hall of Fame. I would love to see Mathis one day get into the Hall of Fame. As great as they were, they would go past the running back to get to the quarterback. This defensive line, and it's probably because we are so much more stout in the middle, get the running back on the way to the quarterback, and it seemed to be an afterthought in the 2000s. I think that's one of the biggest differences between this D-line and that D-line. Even though that D-line was better at getting to the quarterback, this D-line is better at stopping the run game when getting to the quarterback. And that's all we got, Jason. That's all we got. Those are all our questions. We'll be back in a couple days for the Colts-Ravens game preview. So a big game of playoff like game for the Colts this weekend our first real real test of the year we've had other games that are tests but this is our first real test against a team that is considered a quote-unquote Super Bowl contender so I'm pumped up can't wait be back in a couple days Friday with that game preview that's my man Jason Spears I'm your host Luke Diamond and this is the for the culture podcast